Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington. I'm Samba Bachili. Nina Vaca, Chief Executive Officer of Pinnacle Group. An original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. The CEO of ADS Group. The largest Latina-owned workforce solutions in America. I first identify myself as an entrepreneur when I was 15 years old. My mother and father immigrated here with a suitcase and a dream. I had a front row seat to entrepreneurship. I am living proof of what is possible in this country. Today, the marketplace is, is very tough. The challenge for African market today is its access to capital. The number one reason why we can't scale as entrepreneurs is access to capital. What makes Globe so different and so powerful is the access to experts, gurus, mentors, coaches, financiers, venture people, money. When I started my business, I immediately went to engage with different communities, different platforms. Glow makes that experience digital. A digital platform makes it so much faster and so much easier for you to meet like-minded people. The financial platform that Glow have that make Glow unique. Glow is about commerce, Glow is about community, and Glow is about having access to capital. Glow is an asset to every entrepreneur in this country and globally. It's, it's about helping you take your business, your idea, to the next step. Hi there, and welcome to Business Acceleration 2.0. I'm Michelle Lemons, your host for the day, and I'm thrilled to be here with you with our special guest, Pete Cranick. Before we get started, just a couple of uh, notes about a few housekeeping items. Number one, we want to talk to you a little bit about our sponsors. Our sponsors today are the Business Finishing School, which creates a, it's an online program for entrepreneurs to go through that will help them really grow their business so that your business becomes more sustainable. It's a very step-by-step -step to help you create a business that's scalable. And then in the end, it's a saleable business. I mean, let's face it, everybody wants to have a business that you can sell, right? That someone else, you want to have a business that someone else wants to buy, whether you want to sell it or not. So you want to enroll in the business finishing school and go through the program. They've got over 150 different videos, tutorials, guidebooks that will walk you through a process so that you're actually working your business plan as you're going through the class. The other sponsor that we have today is the Global Leaders Organization, or GLOW as we like to call it. You saw the video intro there. GLOW is a membership organization that it was created for the entrepreneur. Uh, it's based on four pillars. Community, because as an entrepreneur, you cannot do this alone. Commerce, because as an entrepreneur, you're looking for additional ways to grow your business. And what better way than with individuals you meet in a community? The other third pillar is capital. The number one reason why businesses fail is the lack of access to capital. It's not that there's not capital, it's the access to it. And Glow helps provide access to the capital when you're in need of it. And then the fourth is content, which is what you're gonna to experience today. Glow proudly presents every week new content from other successful CEOs, business leaders, New York Times bestselling authors. Um, last week, we just had Jack Daly, who gave us step-by-steps on, on your playbook on how to create a successful sales organization which every entrepreneur needs. So if you didn't watch it last week, go back and check it out. Then also we're gonna be doing a virtual event. I know we've talked about in the past that we're going to have a live event in March. And many of you know that we had to push that to make it a virtual event due to COVID. But we still have a fantastic lineup of speakers. It's gonna take place for the full day, all day on March 5th on Saturday. So you won't be at work, you won't be running your business and you can 
check out, take time for yourself, tune in and learn some new concepts to help you build and grow your business. So tune in for that on Saturday, uh, March the 5th. And then also, you know, you want to make sure that you're tuning in, that you like and subscribe to this page if you're watching us on social media. And that way you can be notified every time we're doing one of these events. Um, and then obviously we want you to join GLOW, the Global Leaders Organization, so that you can benefit from those four uh, pillars, community, commerce, capital, and content. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and get started today with our guest. Our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Pete Cranick. Pete's a very interesting individual because he started off working with an organization as a CMO with the Fortune 500 CMO. Um, and really saw that there was a gap and a need and went out and created an organization. He became an entrepreneur and created an organization called the CMO Club. Um, he's a very interesting individual, a lot of color with this guy. So without further ado, Pete Cranick, welcome. Thank you, Michelle. How are you today? Awesome. We're so thrilled to have you here with us today. Wait, and I have to comment about your jerseys in the background too. Yeah. Special to you? Yeah. Absolutely. Michael Jordan, best basketball, and Tom Brady, best football player for what they did as leaders. So you're the best, right? You're the world's my, best. My wife will not let my wife will not let me put my jersey up from when I played high school basketball. She won't let me do it, but that's what I <laughs> Oh well. Okay. So Pete, for I've known you, but to give a little background on yourself, share with our viewers, and they're all entrepreneurs that are listening in. These are our members that are listening. So if you can um, share a little bit of your background, give us, you know how you started as a CMO, how you saw a gap, and why you started the CMO Club. Sure, so let me start by saying, I think I've been just massively fortunate in my life. I'm truly blessed. Um, worked for a lot of great companies. Out of college, I worked for Touche, which is now Deloitte & Touche, was worked at M&M Mars for 15 years, and just learned so much from John and Forrest Mars in that environment. Uh, then was the CMO at uh, DoubleClick, and uh, was that that was in New York City, early 2000s, whatever, um, and then moved to Avaya to be the head of marketing for Avaya, the telecom company. Uh, so lots of great background, larger companies, not entrepreneurial, although the president of Mars said I was an entrepreneurial in a big company environment. He used to tell me all the time. But uh, so I was at CMO. I was going to events late 2000 or 2007, 8, and I just got tired of going to lousy events. And it was the same model. Sell as many sponsors as you can. Try to get CMOs to show up. I had people, I'd be in the bathroom, they're trying to sell me. Or you're, you know, you'd be on a cruise ship for two days and you can't get a break. You're a captive audience. So I said, there's got to be something better. So as a CMO, I just felt like there wasn't a place that was truly just for us, a safe environment um, that's trusted, like-minded individuals. So that's really what drew it. It was just... I went to three lousy events in a row and said, there's got to be something better. Pulled in a couple CMO friends, and I said, I'm going to do this. They thought I might be crazy. They liked the idea, but they thought I was crazy. So left, uh, left Avaya and started the CMO club back in 2008. Oh. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big faith, uh, leap of faith on that because you left a, a really nice, cushy job to go out and like take all the risk as an entrepreneur, right? Were you scared to do it in the beginning? It really wasn't. Um, uh, it, I, one of the things that I've learned in life, and you know, a bunch of lessons, we always talk about lessons learned. Probably the biggest one is the most success I've had, however I define success, in different parts of my career, was always when I had the most anxiety. <laughs> uh, the old pay, no pain, no gain. It's true, right? It's it just the ones that, and I just, I just felt comfortable that uh, it was, there was such a need. 
And it was such an easy thing in my mind at the time to create something. Now, I didn't think about the financial aspect and how soon that would happen, but just from a, a need perspective. So I really didn't. I never looked back and plugged away. I mean, I was fortunate to have great background, uh, you know, that I could do that, you know, tighten my belt for, you know, a couple of years early on. But it really wasn't. It, it, I just felt I had such belief in it and I had such support from my, some mm -hmm. of my CMO buds that we needed it. I figured there's got to be a way to do this. Right. So you so saw that there was, yeah, you saw there was a need, you saw there was a gap and you went in to fulfill that. Okay. You, I know what you did is hard. It's hard to build a community, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and you did it successfully with some of the most, you know, well-known CMOs from around the world. Uh, it was a great, the quality was extremely high. Can you give us some lessons you learned along the way? Cause we're all trying to create communities. You know, whether it be a community sure. on social media or whatever, um, or with right. a business. So what are some things you learned along the way of creating sure. a community? So a couple of things. The first thing, and this is just my perspective, having Instagram, Facebook, and having a bunch of followers on your page to me is not a community, right? That's just a, that's just a new form of advertising, a new form of communication. So mm -hmm. the way I thought about community was it's got to be a community will be successful if you have like-minded people, like I said, I talked about being safe and private stuff, there to help each other. So mm -hmm. kind of the lessons learned or stumbling blocks or whatever is, it's all about the engagement of members. It's not about the push, right? It's not about just pushing content out only or things like that. It's how you create that. So as I, um, as I started the, the CMO club, I created six principles. I'd learned that principles from my Mars days, whatever. And things like, Everything like so. I think you have to differentiate. So, secondly, I think you have to differentiate yourself, mm -hmm. right? And you how be thoughtful about how is this going to be different, and not just the words, and not just a business plan, but to actually think about it and then live it, right? And so, it was thinking about how do we create this environment for over CMO worthy topics for people to help each other. So, as I started rolling out, it was um, quality versus quantity, right? It wasn't about you know, if I had six CMO, you know, I mean, the amount of times I had a dinner, first dinner I had in Minneapolis, two people showed up, right? <laughs> first dinner I had, this is, you're like this, first dinner I had in Chicago. It was a cocktail reception down by the Navy Pier or something like that. Nobody shows up. I invited like <laughs> 10 people, said they don't know me from Adam. 2008, nobody shows up. So I go, okay, I get the taxi, I'm heading back to my hotel. I get a call from Phil Clement, who at the time was the CMO of Aon. Fortune 50, multi-hundred billion, you know, crazy mm -hmm. thing. Never met Phil before. And he said, hey, I'm running a little late. Is it still on? So I'm going much back to the hotel. So I could have blown it off, right? I could have just blown it off. I said, no. But I said, you know what, Phil? Uh, it's, I said, it's over. And I got in the cab and I turned around and went back. And I ended up having drinks with him. And he turned out to be one of the, 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 the kind of the finest people I've ever met. Uh, he's now the CMO of Johnson Control. He was a board member of the CMO club, have a friendship with him. He was the one that actually was instrumental in introducing me to Salesforce. So just by turning back and quality over quantity, it was really lots of those early, early dinners and sticking with it, believing in what, uh, you know, what I wanted to accomplish. That was really the key to, to driving that. So that, so that was a piece to then identify those individuals that truly believed in it and got them involved because the community is all about people helping. So getting CMOs, committed to help each other, to be part of it, and things like that was so critical. I don't know if that answered the question, but those, yeah. those are some of the things. I think that's great. So, you know, in the beginning, 
we, you know, when you're starting a business, you're always running into stumbling blocks. And you said, you know, in your first event, you had two people show. The next event in Chicago, no one showed, but it ended up turning out to be a good right. thing. How, how did you not become dissuade from continuing? What made you say, I'm going to keep doing this even though no one showed? One person showed. How, how did you stay? Because the two people that showed up in minute, because the two people that showed up in Minnesota said it was the best night they've had in six months, and and you know again those were the worst cases. Many times it might be five to ten for the first event, and um, and it was just it was all listening, right? I mean, I, first of all, I think I had an advantage being a fellow CMO. I think helped. So there's right. some credibility for some of those few people to show up. But then it was just constantly talking. Hey. I'm in Dallas. I remember, Michelle, I don't know if you remember this, but when I, uh, uh, they did a real nice goodbye to me at Salesforce recently and they had CMOs talking, said little videos to thank me and said, it was so sweet. Paula Puglia, our buddy from Dallas. I remember Paula, I she yeah. She was at um, GameStop Michael. at the time. Okay. Yeah, Michael's. Now she started game, And then I never heard comment. Your video was, and I remember this crazy guy, Pete, called me and we went to some person's house for the first Dallas. And I remember that was your house. You remember oh. that? We had we had reception at your house. That was the first Dallas get together. She mentioned that, but um, so I think you know I I think that's piece of it. I think other stumbling blocks or lessons learned for me is um, good people. I think matter more in a startup than in a bigger company, and I think it's just critical that you hire the best. You know that's one thing. If I could go back, and I had a lot of good people over the years, but if I could go back, I think of the organizations, some of the people, if I would have made better decisions, it, you know, it would have been much better. And the old friends and family idea, that works well. But what I realized is just because someone says they want to help doesn't necessarily mean they're the best quality to help. So I think these are, you know, le lessons to learn. I think the last thing uh, for me is you have to stay true to your differentiation. Like for me, it was a trusted environment, members paid membership, we did have sponsors and thought leaders, but that was a small piece of the overall revenue stream. It wasn't an event company. It wasn't a sponsor-driven company, et cetera. So, you know, letting, letting non-CMOs in, I could have made more money earlier, but it would have hurt. Letting a bunch of sponsors in that weren't what I call CMO-worthy, I could have made some short-term money, but it wouldn't have helped the call. So I think those are some so kind of some of the lessons learned that I think are really critical. But I think it's all about... It, it's so funny. I don't didn't worry as much about competition day to day what they did because I was building a different mousetrap. It was staying true. How do I stay true to my guiding principles and the differentiation I had for the club? I think that was the key to success because then your members trust you. Then they're like, okay, we trust Pete. We trust the club. They're looking out for our best interest. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. Someone got kicked out of the club for selling inappropriately. So they took note of that. And I did it because it was the right thing to do. And it was tough decisions to make. So anyway, those are some of the things I think that I learned that really made it more successful. Over time. So what I'm hearing is quality over quantity, right? I mean, it yeah, sounds like to me, that you, it was always that you stayed true to your message, which was you're always going to receive quality. It's going to be quality individuals that are a member of this and the conversations are all going to be quality as well. Absolutely. And the growth and you look at growth and acquisition, Every year, the number one reason or the number one activity was referrals. Every year, no matter all the all the things I did, it was always referrals. So I used to say to myself, if every member refers one member a year, we double every year. So mm -hmm. think about that term. How to get every member to want to refer one member. That's exactly right. That so how so incredible. is that how you'd go about attracting? Or is it really... Um, 
I remember in the early days you went out and you were meeting face to face with people, right? Yeah, is, it was is lots that what of. You did? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, what I found was so originally what I realized was I still needed to learn. I need to grow, but I'm still learning. So I didn't reach out with some big advertising or big outreach BS to big, big brands saying, come join the new CMO club because they get hit on every day. CMOs could have a dinner every night of the week with some group that wants to get to them because they all want to sell them stuff. So they didn't know me, Fred. They didn't trust me. So it became, how do I get Phil? How did I get Kim files from Walgreens? And how did I get then over in Europe? Someone? How did I get some of these big brands that personally were the ones that happened to love the club and believed in it? I'll never forget, we had our CMO awards early on. And Stephen Quinn, I think, was a CMO of Walmart at the time. This is way back. He came to our little awards event. There were like 10 other CMOs. And some were like really small companies. He, felt, he took the most notes of everybody because he happened to be the type of CMO that felt he could learn from other people. So it was always, it's like there's certain CMOs that got it and believed in it and certain that liked to be wind and done. So it was just a different, it wasn't for everyone. So that's when I started once it started growing, then they started inviting their peers, which were bigger brands, as opposed mm -hmm. to saying, I've got to get big brands right away. Because everyone does that, and then they just blow them off, or they show up once, and then they're not really committed, because they see it's like everything else. So that was kind of part of the strategy, too. So it's interesting. So you really went through via relationships. In today's world, our younger entrepreneurs are out there, they live and breathe by social media. That is right. their main, main device. Um, and you really didn't use social media to promote and advertise. It was really more I used it, Right, but I used it to show the brand. Like I took a picture at every dinner and uh, posted it. You know, say, hey, great dinner last night in Chicago. Thanks to named a few people. People like to see their photos, right? So it was, it was, mm -hmm. it was that. It wasn't advertising. It was uh, resharing what the magic that happened the night before. Or I'm so excited. Six dinners coming up this week. Look who the speakers are at each of the dinner. And nine times out of ten, they were CMOs sharing insights. You know, we had a we had a rule for the entire thing in the club: no slide presentation, no decks at dinners. No one was presenting anything because people get everyone presents stuff nowadays, right? And mm -hmm. CMOs get tired of that. And again, it depends on your audience. CMOs got tired of that, so we had no no slide rules. You know, no slide. I think we had one exception. We were at the Boston Bruins, and they showed videos of hockey, which was which I didn't think counted. <laughs> That's my presentation. <laughs> like that was cool, you know, stuff like that. But right. I think that was that was um you talk about attracting members, right? Uh, um I always uh wanted to create an environment where the members believe so much in it that they want to refer others without being incentivized. There was always talk about, hey, you know, if you would refer a member, you get six months free or this or that. And early on in the CMO was like, no, Pete, we love the club. I don't need to be, I don't need a Starbucks gift card. I can care less. I want to, this is valuable. So I think that's the mindset. I think you want to share, get your members to be advocates enough that they don't have to be incented to share. And we created, we created this kind of feel that us, not us against the world, but um, that, you know, we're different. The CMO club is different. I'm a member. I'm a chapter president in Dallas. I'm a chapter president in Paris. I, we believe in this club and this will be my day job. That I want to spread the world, and it was. And you're right; it was, uh, it was an emotional, it was emotional decision making, not rational. It was mm -hmm. all based on. Well, you remember the early days? We'd always get, mm -hmm. I'd always beg Barnsfield to get the celebrities and artists to show up, but not just to present, perform, and leave, but to hang out, spend the afternoon, spend an evening. Um, right. We created um, CMO Club Cares, which was one of my favorite things, where we would invite charities into the summits 
and we'd have breakout sessions, 10 charities, and these were all, this wasn't Red Cross, this wasn't the big guys, this is small local charities um, that uh, that just needed help, not money, but also needed help. So picture you're the local charity, you're a, you're a husband and wife, and you lost your son to suicide a year before, you created a small little teen suicide charity in your local town, and now you're at a summit and you're sitting at a table with the CMO from Ford, the CMO from, you know, McDonald's, the CMO, you know, around, just helping. And then, and the members loved it because it was, it was true. It wasn't, they weren't being sold to. They wanted to help. And, you know, we had, for example, um, CMO Petco, one of my favorite charities, K9 for Warriors. And we had them in an event, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And CMO Petco came, sat at the table, built a relationship. And now Petco is the biggest, I think one of the biggest supporters of K9. You know, they've helped them build new a new facility in San Antonio. They've helped them just, and it all mm-hmm. came from a CMO Club CARES event at one of our summits. Wow. And so that, those you, are the types of things, yeah. And you also, I think, met someone really special from being involved with that charity, right? Didn't you meet yeah, kind of, that yeah, way? Yeah, the, just the love of my life. The love of my <laughs> life. It was interesting, yeah. In early days, Sherry Duvall, who's now passed, but uh, started Canines, came to event and... Uh, Sandy Capri knew her and they introduced us. And obviously when she saw me, it was love at first sight. That's not true. That's not true. I think it was the other way around. I wore her down. But no, yeah, the love of my life. It's just crazy. We've had so much fun. And, and it was really, uh, it was really interesting too. Uh, um, whatever, whatever with the man of faith. And, you know, God puts, in my view, God puts people in different places. And Gina came on board and her, she's an attorney and her background, she helped me the last couple of years. And it was yeah. hugely valuable. Awesome. Get us buttoned down so we could even sell the company. But anyway, I digress. Okay, so let's move on a little bit and talk about sponsors. Because you said you were very careful on how you handled sponsorship, sure. right? Um, yep. Let's talk about that because a lot of the members bring in sponsors for their events. They put on events. Right. Uh, anything that you learned that you could provide some insight on how to work with sponsors? Yeah. Okay. The number one, The number one thing that I learned, and we tried to do it, I think we were very successful, was we viewed spot, you know, we called them thought leaders because the CMO, it's that, that community happens to be a, a business community of senior marketers. But, um, the value, their biggest value is helping CMOs solve problems, not the check they write. And I think for us, that was the best thing we ever did. So we would vet, you know, you know, early days, yeah, it was more beg, bar, and steel, but as we grew, more people wanted to get involved, but it was, we vetted. They had to have CMO worthy solutions like you interesting you talked about your sponsors to start the show today i noticed and they're they're spot on right they're mm-hmm. thought leaders they're going to help from what i heard you say their thought leaders are going to help ceos entrepreneurs be more successful that's what you want it's less right. about the check right like and again there's nothing i'm using example nothing against email marketing I'm using this example cmos are not real they're not focused as cmo on email marketing they have people in their organization do it so having four email sponsors or thought leaders at a summit, they're not going to get the business they want. And the CMOs, you know, the, to me, the best was having these thought leaders that CMOs thanked me later and said, thank you so much for introducing me to blah, blah, blah. Now we're working with them and they've really helped us. And then the thought leaders like, this is the best thing I've ever done. So it's, it's vetting, making sure they're, in my case, CMO worthy, um, and then treating them like part of the team, like you're behind the curtain too. You're not different. Like we didn't have different badges at summits or things like that where you're a sponsor, you're the gold badge and this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would and we would really do a lot of uh, educating before events and stuff on 
how to get them. I actually got CMOs to help. How to get the most out of this event as a thought leader. What to do, what not to do. And there were times when people overstepped their bounds and we didn't invite them back. And we managed through that. But I think that was um, one of the big ones. And then the other ones, I forgot to mention this, but I have this framework that I've used that, it, that works for members, works for part, uh, thought leaders and sponsors, also works for potential buyers. And mm -hmm. I call it access, insight, and influence. And I really live by it, right? So everything you do, everything I did, every program across, I'd always, where does it fit within this? You're providing access to peers or access, whatever. You provide these insights that they can't get anywhere else but this community. And then how do you leverage the power of this community either for them to influence or to be able to influence them? So everything I did as it related to members, as it related to thought leaders, was the sponsors was about access, insight, and influence. I think that's a... And it's not just a trite, you know, TED Talk phrase of fraud. I mean, I really live by it. You actually, mm -hmm. you know, put focus on those things. So I think that was a big piece of it, too. And, um, yeah, it was quite successful. I mean, we, like, again, we charged membership for CMOs. So this wasn't an event company. This wasn't totally sponsor-driven. Now, sponsor was a good piece of it, but that was just a piece. Right. that allow us to then be more strategic. It wasn't about, you know, we limited the number, right? So if we had 160, 200 CMOs at a summit, for example, you'd have five or six thought leaders and you'd allow two from their company there. So you only have 12 people running around. So it doesn't look right. like 30, 40% sponsored. So um, you just continue to stay true to your core of really providing yeah. value to the CMO where they couldn't, where they weren't being sold to because that was an experience you had and you hated it, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. And it's okay, so interesting. So um, I've always been like a conflict avoidance kind of person. Uh -huh. So it was a big change for me, right? It was a big change for me to be a tough guy and to actually kick people out and get in people's faces if they did things inappropriate and stuff like that. It was just interesting. It was good. Good yeah, growth for I'm me. Sure good that, learning for yeah. me. Okay. So um, we're talking about CMO Club, Chief Marketing Officer. Can you talk to us about any kind of, you know, obviously it's the background, Chief Marketing Officer. What are some of kind of the trends that are going on right now in the marketplace? I mean, your members are some of the biggest brands in the world. Right. Um, can you share well, with what, any kind of marketing yeah. trends? What I find interesting, and this is just my perspective, having sat through mm -hmm. a thousand plus dinners and 20 plus summits and all this stuff and listening to CMOs and talking all the time to them, is what the media sometimes talks about is the hot buttons may not be the hot buttons of CMOs. So there are a bunch of, you know, uh, programmatic and blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of things that are important and you have to go through and every CMO needs to do. But it was interesting. We did some work with Deloitte uh, last year and they did a great study. We interviewed a bunch of members. We talked through on what I think are like what the top CMOs are really thinking about. What are the best thinking about regardless of size? So two or three things. You got to think about this for a second. Um, one of the things um, is the change in what I call building uh, building a creative engine. Creative engine, meaning historically you always had ad agencies and you're, you have your company and you're working with your agency to come up with, quote, creative for ads, for this or that, et cetera. What the best are doing, I see, is they're starting to think about their data scientists. How do we get the most creative data scientists in our company? Not just, I'm a data scientist, I can churn numbers real well, but how do you be creative with that? So that's one trend. Everyone's still trying to say, okay, I got to do kind of data-driven, fine. I'm on my path to find data and blah, blah, blah. But now how do you get the most creative people? And I think that's a big significant shift. Uh, uh, I think that the um, – it's interesting. Um, uh, 
CMO of Chick-fil-A. Love, love them out of Atlanta. And it's so interesting just how he thinks about looking. They're already looking five years out what to do. You know, remember someone made a joke a while ago saying if the, you know, if our government could be run like Chick-fil-A, we'd have no problem, right? In the sense of delivery and, you know, DMV and blah, 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 all this stuff because they're just so on top of it. Well, they're thinking five years out. They're not just reacting to what someone else is doing today. They're actually thinking, you know, how are cars going to change five years? How is drive-through going to change? What if we have state of, you know, issues with, you know, pollution driven? I mean, who knows? But they're just on top of it. So I think that's, that's another thing. I think an, another thing, um, uh, is this, how do you engage? They're thinking about how do I engage with customers in a cookie-less world? In a world, you know, there's so much pressure about privacy and data and being able to watch people, things like that. So it's, you know, how do you actually think about that, right? So if you're doing alert for customers and you're doing outreach, they maybe have an ask for that's helpful. What percentage say this is helpful versus what percentage said this is creepy? So it's 70% helpful, 30% creepy. That gives you a 40 as your rating. And then how do you think about things like that? So I think the bright, most forward-looking organizations with a marketing focus are thinking about that. Um, obviously, purpose Purpose is important, right? Purpose-driven. But it's not just doing an ad campaign saying that you care about the environment, you care. It's how do you actually do it, right? How do you actually think about, you know, historically it's always been about quality and it's always been about price. You still have those, but how do you then think about purpose as well? And, you know, if you're a data company, you know, then data security is an important thing to make sure that your customers are comfortable with versus sustainability or whatever. So, it, and it's just... Again, it's not window dressing, it's, it's living it. And it's, it's so funny. We have a, uh, a phrase, a guy, when I worked for, uh, Ross many years ago, when I was in Houston, he said, it's like putting earrings on a hog. It's, I love that. How many times <laughs> you see advertising, right? It's like, how many times you see great advertising about where the, I mean, I'll think back on mobile, uh, mobile company, right? Phone, mobile phone. I'm not going to say mm -hmm. now, but say some years ago, the best advertising about customer service. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm a customer and they stink. It's just BS. So, it's it's people see through that right so how do you yeah. it's not like putting earrings on a hog it's how do you change the hog uh, it's kind of a bad analogy <laughs> but you know what i'm saying um, yeah lip, lipstick quote, yeah, on a pig changing the hog first time yeah. it's ever been said changing the hog. earrings um, on a hog i've heard lipstick right. on a pig i haven't no, heard earrings old, on a hog it's like a good old boy in you know 1981 um <laughs> and then okay. i think the lot the lot okay let's no 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 go ahead i can talk for hours on this stuff <laughs> The last no, one is, great. and then I'm done. Then I, then I have nothing else to share after this one. No, I'm kidding. But um, it's, it's how, do you, how do you integrate the, the hybrid experience, right? And it's people are thinking about that. So everything, the virtual selling versus right. physical selling versus virtual versus physical selling. How many times do you have people where the virtual world is great and the physical stinks and the physical is fine and they don't talk to each other and you're chasing stuff down? So I think it's really important some of the bright people are not are really thinking about that. How do I integrate them so there's no so there isn't a difference? So those are kind of three or four things that I think some of the brightest CMOs are really thinking about. Yeah, I think it's extremely helpful. Okay, so let's just keep on the topic of CMO. So a lot of our members are, you know, they're entrepreneurs starting to grow to build their business, and they might not have a CMO, but they're at the point where they need to hire that CMO. Um, mm -hmm. Can you give us an idea, like? When the point is to hire a CMO and sort of what sure. kind of price point we should be thinking about. Sure. So again, this is just my perspective from right. all the years of hanging out and being one for a while and talking to a bunch. 
Um, if you're still at a point as your company where you're still trying to get your tactical stuff together, right? How do I line up? How do I do my marketing campaigns? How do I, you know, handle that? How do I build the brand? How do I, then I don't know if you need a CMO, right? I mean, you get a good VP or director level that knows the stuff. Mm -hmm. You hire a great agency. I, I don't, that's just my, I think when you're at a point where you're really thinking strategic and you really right. want to strategically think three to five years out, how you want the brand to be defined, how are you going to grow? I mean, marketing plays a big role. It's not just sales. Sales, I mean, clearly you need a great sales organization, but the marketing thought process of all the, you know, different dials that can be pushed. If you're thinking strategically, how do I grow globally? How do mm -hmm. I do a step function change? We're going to acquire three companies. Then I think a CMO. Another one is if you really need to influence the board as yourself as a CEO and your board on strategic changes to the business, then a CMO builds credibility. So I think those are the times for me when you want to start thinking about CMO. Otherwise, a good VP or a good director can work, right, if you have great things. So that that's that. You know, for pay, I'm just so not formally qualified. I know we did a compensation study last year, and you're probably looking at, if you want to get someone at that to do those things, mm -hmm. you're like into three to 500, you have three to 500,000. Wow. Okay. Um, that's just my, but again, it so depends on where in the country you are, things like that. But I'm saying, but, but that's if you're ready to be strategic and really mm -hmm. influence the board. Again, I think sometimes people say they have a CMO when they're really operating at a director level and therefore you can get them for less, but you're not really, they're not really a CMO. You give them the title, but they're not acting. It's funny. I saw that in the club, right? At dinners, you could see certain people that were really CMOs and some that had the CMO title that because their company wanted to do it. <laughs> That weren't thinking that way. I don't know if that was helpful. But again, I, please, I, I'm not a you know HR person. I don't know what the latest cop is. That's just the range right. that I remember hearing people talk about. So, okay, so you know, I don't know if everyone knows, but you actually sold your business to Salesforce.com, which was fantastic. Yeah. And congratulations. I'm curious. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs create companies, build them just to sell them. Did you have that in mind when you started CMO Club that you were going to build this and then sell it? Well, I knew, I, I would say initially the first year or two, no. But early on, when I saw it starting to take traction, and I said to myself, this could be, I could see this as something I could sell. But it wasn't a, I did it to solve a problem doing what I love. Yes, I wanted to make money. Lifestyle, I call it lifestyle business, what do you call it, along the way. But then I realized that the value could be such that this could be a strategic acquisition, which is what everyone wants, right? Right. Versus. And so I would say for the last eight years, definitely thought about it, talked to a few people over the years, you know, went kind of partially in and did, et cetera. But then by like about three years ago, uh, it then was, I was at a point where I'm 64. I know I look a lot younger. Just kidding. But um, uh, uh, so I said, you know, I've worked hard for 40 some years traveling all the time, et cetera, I'm ready to be, you know, just take it back a notch. So the thought of that, and then the financial aspect for retirement was part of that, you know, because mm -hmm. having left other companies, I had something, but I wasn't, you know. So I would say the last three years is when I then got more serious about saying, you know, now is the time. We've built something pretty special. Now let's think about who would be the right people and how do we position this as a strategic sell versus a P&L based right. sell. So was it just you sitting, did you make a list of possible strategic buyers 
did you, um, and what were some other steps maybe you did to prepare the business to sell? Sure. That's a really good question. So, um, what I found interesting is as I moved down the path, I saw all these, I think at the end, by the time I saw it, I think we had 30 chapters. I could be off by a couple. So we had CMOs volunteering to be chapter presidents. I put together an amazing board. But what I did on the board is I put together a group that can really help me maximize the value to help sell it. It wasn't necessarily I had selling a business experts on the board, but I had, you know, just top CMOs and, you know, Greg Welsh from Spencer Stewart was a board member, John Costello, ex-Duncan, Phil, Kim File, ex-Walgreen, et cetera, Carol Cruz, ex-ESPN, Trish Mueller, Home Depot. This is my board. So they were so uh, helpful in thinking through that. And then it was, it was that type of thing. It was the word getting out based on, you know, their help. And I, I could tell you I had it all buttoned down and thought through and had my list. No, we had some directional things for people to reach out to. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it was really more their conversations thinking through. So that was one huge piece. Because I think to me, you wanted to make, by having so many members love the club that would talk to anyone and say, I love this, this is different. And then creating this club such a way that it was strategic in value. And again, I use the idea of access, insight, and influence. Who is going to benefit from access to CMOs? Who's going to benefit the most from insight from CMOs and have the ability to influence? And and one of the board members, you know, had a conversation and, uh, and Salesforce knew some people at Salesforce in the conversation. There were others in the mix. Uh, and then so it wasn't like it was this master plan, but that was a big piece of it. The last thing I think that's really important is what I found going through the process of due diligence and everything is for me, in my case, it's all about what can we find that would make this not a good idea if I'm a buyer and eliminating all those. And that's when Gina, my wife, was so helpful being an attorney and background and stuff and doing due diligence and buttoning down employment agreements, buttoning down thought leadership agreements, buttoning down the business model, buttoning down assets that we own and how we handle that. So, so basically, as someone comes in and they're like, we love the idea, we want to buy this company, now let's really think through all the reasons why we shouldn't. There weren't any, or we, there was an openness. Well, here's one potential item. Here's how we're planning on fixing it, or here's how we can manage it. You know, things like that. So um, that was, I think, really important. Which I had, to be honest, the first six eight years, I'm all about growing the business, heads mm -hmm. down, meeting more CMOs, thought leaders, building it, coming up with new ideas. Not about how do I make sure this is really buttoned down to sell. Right. That right. makes sense. So that was hugely valuable. Hugely valuable. That's actually, that's really good insight, good information there, Pete. So I'm curious, you were, the, you know, you went from being an entrepreneur to becoming an employee. How has that transition been? And give us a little insight as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, possibly someone out there looking at selling their business at, and maybe taking on a, um, an employment sure. agreement. So it was, so in my case, because I'm older, I wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't start a company at 35, sell it at 40, and then go to my next thing right away. So for me, legacy matters. So I think that, uh, look, right, look when, we, when we leave the earth, right, it's and not to sound too corny or like that, but it's, it's all about what impact have I had on people's lives, right? And that's such a big thing that people you know, to do. So it's really thinking through what's the legacy? How do I make sure 10 years from now the CMO club is around? Does it have to be? 
you know, I got a nice paycheck, my life is good, but it'd be nice to be part of something that continues on, right? So legacy mattered. So as an employee, uh, first of all, Salesforce was just, could not, could not have asked for anything better, right? If I had sat down five years and go, write up a dream scenario, I've, I've lived it. I mean, who gets that, right? Nobody. Uh, they would, they, they've kept true to the model. They've hired great people. I, I joke, I'd say, boy, if I had some of these people five years ago, probably could have sold it for more. I mean, they're that good, right? These people that care. Mm -hmm. And they're listening and they let me, you know, help drive things the first six, eight months. And, but it was all about transitioning and educating and things like that. So for me, yes, I was an employee, but I still was early on really still actively involved in introducing CMOs to my replacement and doing these types of things. So they, they made it easier. But I'd say for me, the one lesson I learned from it, though, mm -hmm. is I probably hung on, I probably, I, I could have backed off sooner. I, I mean, no no issue, it was fine. But I was still involved and stressed and this or that. And, uh, and you know, there are times where I get advice from the board saying, Pete, it's not your company anymore. I know you're involved <laughs> and that's wonderful. It's not your company. You don't have to lose sleep over this, you know. So it's kind of interesting lesson learned. I could have moved back a little bit. Right. But again, it was, you know, the timing was right. But Salesforce, they, their, their methodology, their approach to build, you know, when you, when you brought a company, this again, this is my personal observation. And just being so helpful. And they have plans to transition you out. So you're not a year and a half in still driving everything, right? Mm -hmm. As the months go on, more people got involved. So now to the point where these last number of months, I've been more like, Helping, you know, introduce CMOs to right. key execs at Salesforce. Or, hey, we have an issue came up or a question came up about this thought leader two years ago. You know, so it's more advice and things like that. So I haven't, I haven't had a problem with it. I think that um, at some point, too, from an integrity perspective, too, if you sell your company and you commit to do something for them, you want to see it through. Whether right. you don't have to or not, it's just the right thing. Right. I mean, the fact yeah. that, you know, I could have left and back out, they would have still kept the company and they might have been upset with me, but to sit there and, you know, have them hopefully happy with the support I've given them is important. And I suggest that to all, all entrepreneurs to make sure, you know, to end well, it the right way. I think that's the, the, the entire theme of who you are from when you started CMO Club to you selling and seeing it through is quality. And quality has always been really important to you. So I think you continue to see quality even as you kind of shut the door for yeah, your you're personal, right? right? So yeah, congratulations. Really yeah, congratulations. Oh, I forgot Steve. one other important thing. What? Product placement. Product placement's important. Product <laughs> placement's important. <laughs> yeah, we gotta make sure you got that. So you're <laughs> fantastic, Pete Cranick, and I was so excited for you to be on the show because I knew that everybody, not only would they get some great insight, but be a lot of fun too. Um, thank yep. you so much. Our time's already come to an end, and uh, it was really fast, too fast. Great spending time uh, with you. I had a blast. So good to see you. I got to come see you in Dallas again soon. It's been too yeah, long. Maybe we have, even have another little event with inviting some of the old CMOs. <laughs> Bring them back. Bring them back. <laughs> so I can find All the right. original list. All right. You're Excellent. fantastic. So thank you so much, and we'll see you around the block, I'm sure. So thanks again. Beautiful. and Love for all what those you're doing. Still, thank you, Pete. Thanks. For all those that are still tuned in, we want to make sure that you join us next week. We've got um, Jay Steinfeld, who is the, the best-selling author from Lead from the Core. So he's going to be joining us and talking about his new book, Lead from the Core, and very excited. He, he started Blinds.com, so he's got a thing or two to talk about with leading. Um, 
So until next week, stay safe and God bless.